Testing, testing. In Matthew uh, 5, the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, Melvin took um, last week, um, for those who came, he took, uh, blessed are they that mourn, uh, verse 4, but I want to, and we had decided for him to take one part of it, and I'm going to take another part of it, so we're, gonna, we're still going to be in um, blessed are they that mourn. For they shall be comforted. Hello, come on in. I'm glad you all are here. Um, the uh, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Um, speaks to what we were just praying about, you know, for every need that we have. The Lord rushes to meet that need. And um, one, of the, uh, one of the cards that I got, uh, in one of the cards that I got uh, uh, on Mother's death, um, the scripture in Psalm, uh, how precious is the death of the saints, of those who love the Lord, in the eyes of the Lord, how precious is their death. What that says to us is that in whatever mourning we are in, the Lord cherishes that in us. He cherishes the pain. It is not something that passes by him unnoticed. Uh, it is not something, the struggles that you are dealing with, with loved ones, with family, with losses of many different kinds, because grief and mourning come to us at the hands of any number of losses. It can be the loss of a dream. It can be the loss of, um, of a career, uh, the loss of health, the loss of a job, the loss of uh, a home when you move from one place to another, even though there may be positives in going to, uh, to the new. There is, for every hello, there is a goodbye in a sense. And what our Lord means to us and what he wants us to know of him is that the details of our lives matter. Uh, the hairs of our head are numbered. He knows the details of your life and mine more than we know those details. And so the blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted uh, speaks to any number of things in your life and mine, but it, it means that uh, the death of his saints does not go unnoticed. In fact, it is, it is, it is pre-planned and it is prepared for. And, and what goes on in your life and mine, in whatever losses we have, is precious to him. And, uh, and is honored by him. That's what that means. It's honored by him. And the, the uh, manifestation and the proof of that honoring is the comfort that he brings to us. He does not leave us in a vacuum with the struggles that we are dealing with. Um, sometimes we don't sense his presence. But the disciples on the road to Emmaus didn't sense his presence, and yet he was there. Whether they saw him or not, he was there. The disciples in the, in the room 
that had gathered uh, still in some sort of confused mourning because they didn't quite understand resurrection yet. That had never happened before, except just briefly with, with Lazarus. They didn't get that yet, so they were still in mourning, and they did not, you know, I don't think that he, he suddenly came to them and then he disappeared. I think he revealed himself, his presence to them that was already there in the unseen. And he just turned the knowing of his presence on and turned it off to say, I am here whether you see me or not. So what is happening in your life and mine is precious to him. And whether we sense him in those certain moments of our mourning or not, he still is there. And that is the story of his appearances uh, after resurrection to his disciples, but before his ascension. That sudden on again, off again sense of presence did not mean his presence was not continual. The awareness of it was not continual. That was the only thing that was not continual. So he comes here in the midst of the context of people who did not understand a new covenant, who did not understand the interior journey that Christ was calling them to here in the Beatitudes, here in the Sermon on the Mount. They didn't get that yet. He is just beginning to introduce them to the downward staircase into the interior of the soul and of that inner intimate relationship with Christ that would, was to come. They didn't get yet that he was not only talking here in Blessed Are They That Mourn, not only talking about the things that I've just been talking about. He was certainly talking about that. But as with the Lord, there are multiple layers, multiple layers. There's an unendingness to his layers. Uh, we could live a thousand years and still not understand all the scripture. If we studied it every day, there would still be layers of understanding beyond our grasp uh, because there is no way we can, can contain all of God in our grasp. And, and the scriptures uh, do not contain all of God. They reveal layers of God, but there's still so much to be known. So the other aspect that I want us to consider this morning and blessed are they that mourn is, is a, a new kind of uh, mourning that has to do with the mourning of the Spirit. And it's alluded to in the Old Testament as well, and we'll look at that uh, in a minute in Joel and in uh, Psalms. But I want us to look at the possibility that the, the, some Hidden, hidden layers uh, of mourning are also alluded to here in Christ because as you look in Christ here in the Beatitudes, as you look, he starts out in verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We've talked about how that has to do with humility. It has to do with this humus, which is one of the, the base words, the best base meanings of the word humility, this humus, soil, that is rich to receive what is sown into it. And so humility has to do with not our resistance to the things that life hurls at us, but our receiving the things that life hurls at us. Humility is the essence of acceptance. Accepting things not because we like them, but because they are reality. 
the key for you and me to uh, a victorious life in Christ, in the Spirit, is coming to a place where we can accept those things we cannot change and receive them into the human soil of our soul and let God take what is buried there and bring forth a new crop, a new fruit. And the degree to which I resist is the degree to which that fruit will not be born in me. Uh, and, and we'll get into this later in chapter 5, but where it says resist not evil, you think, well, what does that mean? Are we not supposed to come up against evil? I think what he's talking about here is don't resist those things that are done to us that have been costly and bring great pain. We mourn them, we grieve them, but he has comfort to bring to you and me in our grief. But in the grieving is the acceptance of the losses that have come at someone else's hand to our lives and not resist it with anger and not resist it with bitterness. Now there's an angry stage of the grief process and that's okay because God has made us that way. But I'm talking about anger beyond its season. I'm talking about bitterness and a brittleness that can come to our soul if we resist those things that are unfair and unjust, things that we can't change. If we can change something, that's okay, then we, we try to change it. But the things that have come to your life and mine by somebody else's hand that you and I can't control or change, uh, the humus, the humility that Christ summons you and me into, allows for you and me to accept it in the pain and the loss and the grief and let God enlarge our heart through that pain. Uh, there's a great mystery to suffering. And if you, if you look at uh, certain scriptures, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 5 through 7, and 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 11, and uh, Colossians 1, 24, uh, Philippians 3, 10, and First um, Peter Four, three verses one and two. And there's a couple of other verses in First in Peter as well. Uh, they all speak to a mystical transformation of our own soul when we accept suffering as Christ accepted suffering. That he forms in us. Transformative into that newness, being raised to walk in newness of life. So what you and I do with suffering, with our mourning, determines what of Christ people see in us. It's a mystical thing, and I think it's the key to walking the exchanged life, the transformed life. I think we don't get to the transformed life without receiving those painful things uh, that have come our way uh, as Christ received his suffering. It's the fellowship of his suffering. And um, in the fellowship of his suffering, then we also uh, participate in the power of his resurrection and the image of his resurrection formed in us. So this is where Christ is leading those that he is speaking to here on the mountain. It's where he's leading you and me. 
So blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted beyond what we've already talked about. I think he is talking about here, jumping off of verse 3, jumping off of poor in spirit. If we come into an impoverished spirit where we recognize what we are, then automatically there comes from verse 3 a mourning. Those times when I have been disillusioned with myself. Disillusioned. I have been living under the illusion of my own righteousness and of my own goodness. And suddenly I do something or say something that absolutely shines a spotlight on my corruption. And I am disillusioned and cannot believe this is what I am. Those moments are treasures to the Lord. Because those are the moments he's been waiting for in you and me, where the light breaks through the clouds of our own sea. And we recognize, as Job did, and we've looked at Job, where he put his hand over his mouth and he said, Behold, I am vile. It wasn't that Job for 38 or 40 chapters had been boastful and arrogant. It was that he was unknowing of himself. And you and I live in the fog. Somebody has written a book, uh, an anonymous person back in the 1500s, called The Cloud of Unknowing. And though this is not exactly what it's about, we, you and I, live in a cloud of unknowing about ourselves until these moments come and we trip over something of ourselves. And we are either exposed publicly or we're just humiliated personally, inwardly, and no one else knows about it. But we recognize in that, that moment where the veil is parted, this is what I am. And I remember one time, and, and it was one of those life-changing times for me. It was one of the most important life-changing moments for me. It was just a little minor thing, seemingly, but it wasn't. It was like the Lord opened up something. And I was driving along, and, and uh, LBJ. And this thought just suddenly came into my mind that was not a good thought. And I was not even thinking about it. I was just going along, you know, merrily, enjoying the day. And it was like, I said, Lord, where did that come from? That was not me. You know that was not me. I ask your forgiveness, but it was not me because I was not even thinking that. I was not even going there. And uh, then came this little, still, small voice that said, Brenda, if that thought which you had was, didn't come from you, where did it come from? <laughs> and I started to say, well, the devil made me do it. <laughs> and... Uh, and, and I, in fact, I, I got into that thought with him, and I was kind of stopped, and I thought, okay. And I think this was the Lord kind of speaking to my, my mind at that moment, and okay, if the devil, no, and, and one of the thoughts was, did a stork just drop, fly over and drop that thought into your head? And then I was, I was thinking, no, the devil is probably the one who stirred this up. And then the thought was, okay, if the devil stirred it up in you, he had to have a toehold in you to do that. And then he said in a very clear voice, mental voice, mental sentence, Brenda, and I was talking, I, I, I said to the Lord, I said, it was like a little black butterfly just flitted in through my mind and out, you know. It wasn't me. And, uh, and he said, Brenda, the good, 
that is in you. The good that is in you is me. It's not you. And that little black butterfly, Brenda, is you without me. Wow. That's when I turned around and stopped running from myself. That's when I realized, okay, without you, I am darkness. Without you, I am nothing. And I mourned. Put my hand over my mouth. I'm vile. In that moment of parting of the fog, of the cloud, I mourned. And yet in that kind of soulish mourning, the comfort was liberation. Was setting me free from having to be more than I was having to be other than what I am, having to cover my tracks, having to, to strive to work to be good. All of that went away. And I said, this is me. It is for this reason that you came. And when I've surprised myself in the years since with not just thoughts but actions or words or behaviors, I just come and say, Lord, it is for this reason that you came. This is why you came. And the comfort that comes to that kind of mourning is not just liberation where we just can get off the treadmill and say, this is me. Flaws and all, blemishes and all. There but for the grace of God. The God's grace covers me. God's grace pours out upon us all. It helps us to praise him for the grace that we now see that we did not understand. The other comfort that comes in this kind of mourning is the comfort of the cross. You see, when we finally come down to the humus soil of our soul and we are, as humility means, low to the ground and we recognize that I'm low to the ground, that I am there in the soil that I made from the dirt of the earth, literally, and the will of God and the love of God. But when I get there, the comfort that comes is the price that God was willing to pay for me at Calvary. In, in Philippians 2, 5 through 9, you know, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with, uh, with God. But he, he humbled himself and, and made himself in the form of a man. Humbled himself, and God raised him up. So that at the name of Jesus, he exalted him. Christ didn't exalt himself. Christ humbled himself. And the Lord God, Father, exalted him and brought him up. And the same thing as his followers, when we come to a true humility. You see, this Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount is about becoming authentic followers of Christ, authentic Christians. 
not Christians who worship through a mask. Not Christians who relate through a mask, but who are just real. And who accept others in their realness. Who accept others in their flawedness. Who don't judge, who forgive, because we ourselves are forgiven. And we know ourselves to be such. That's part of the comfort of our mourning, is that we are forgiven. But the other part of the comfort of this kind of mourning is that we are elevated and we are raised up and we are exalted by the act of Christ at Calvary. That God was willing to pay the most sacred treasure he had in all of eternity to purchase you and me from the earth. From the soil of our own littleness, from our fallenness. That he was willing to pay that price for you and me. We are bought with a price elevates you and me. That's the comfort when we come to the end of 